0: Our sermon text for this morning is Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 27. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that on pages 950 and 951. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sospiter, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortis, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: J. Gresham Machen, you may know that name. He was uh, the founder of Westminster Seminary. He wrote a book that's still worth reading, by the way, called Christianity and Liberalism. The title says it all. But J. Gresham Machen sums up what Romans is about as we come to our final text in Romans. Justification by faith is an answer to the greatest personal question ever asked by the human soul, How shall I be right with God? How do I stand in God's sight? With what favor does He look upon me? There are those who are concerned with the question of their standing before men, but never with the question of their standing before God. There are those who are interested in what people say, but not in the question of what God says. Such men, however, are not those who move the world. They are apt to go with the current. They are apt to do as others do. They are not the heroes who change the destinies of the race. The beginning of true nobility comes when a man ceases to be interested in the judgment of men and becomes interested in the judgment of God. Romans is about the judgment of God and whether it is favorable or not. And we come to the end today and I see five truths in this text that I think sum up what the gospel is about. If you're taking notes, here are those truths. First, watch out for those who are opposed to the gospel. Second, we triumph through the gospel. Third, The gospel is a prophecy fulfilled and a mystery revealed. Fourth, the gospel summons all peoples to the obedience of faith. And then finally, the gospel, fifth, brings grace to us and glory to God. So first... Watch out for those opposed to the gospel. Let's read verses 17 through 19 again. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery They deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The gospel has saved us, for it is God's power unto salvation. But we must be on guard, he says at the end of this letter, against those who subvert the gospel. There are opponents And there are enemies out there. Wake up. Don't fall asleep. Be alert. Be ready. Be discerning. How do we spot false teachers? There's an objective measure, isn't there? They are false if they teach contrary to the doctrines and the teachings revealed to us. So we know we need to know the truth and we need to measure teachers by whether they conform to that truth. We must be on the alert because he tells us false teachers can easily deceive the naive through smooth talk and through flattery. In other words, false teachers are typically... Usually, nice people. And they usually have pleasing personalities. Think of someone like Joel Osteen. There is no doubt that he is a likable person. I saw him on 60 Minutes a few years ago. Personally, I was attracted to his personality, his warmth, his friendliness. But he proclaims another gospel, doesn't he? He doesn't proclaim Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He doesn't preach that human beings are sinners who need to be saved from the wrath of God. This is what he said on the Larry King show some years ago now. He says this, We we do have rules, But the main rule is to honor God with your life. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? The main rule is to honor God with your life. But he goes on to live a life of integrity, not be selfish. You know, help others. But that's really the essence of the Christian faith. So notice what's the essence of the Christian faith for him. It's honoring God by keeping rules and by living an unselfish life. That's the essence, he says, of the Christian faith. Well, for many people in our country, they'd agree. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a good person, a nice person who observes moral norms. Doesn't that sound good? But that's not the good news about Jesus Christ. Notice that what Osteen said could be said about any other religion. There's nothing distinctively Christian about what he said at all. Osteen says this about his relationship with God. My conscience is clear before God. I know that I'm doing my best to please Him. That's why I sleep well at night. That's why I can lie down in peace. That's why I have a smile on my face. He doesn't lie down in peace because his sins have been forgiven. He lies down in peace because of what he's done. He doesn't trust in the righteousness of Christ. He relies upon his own goodness. He refuses to preach about sin because he thinks that's too negative. But ironically, he introduces a new legalism. Religion is all about what we do. That's smooth talk. That's flattery, isn't it? That's smooth talk and it's flattering. It's contrary to the gospel. His conscience is clean because of his goodness. That's not the gospel. With nice guys proclaiming a false gospel, it's no wonder that Paul says, be wise, be wise, Clifton, to what is good and innocent to what is evil. Be on guard against false teachers. Beware of those who subvert the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is no light matter. And it is attractive. Many are deceived. Second. Second truth. We triumph. We triumph through the gospel. What is it that makes the gospel different? The good news we proclaim is about the work of God in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Do you want to be strengthened today? Do you want to be supernaturally strengthened? I do. Because I don't have the strength in myself and neither do you. Where does that strength come from? He tells us it's a it comes from the Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ that's what strengthens us. What does he mean by the preaching of Jesus Christ? I think that means the preaching about Jesus Christ, the proclamation about Jesus, and the proclamation given by Jesus. I think it's both in other words in it's Christ-centered. Our gospel is not about ourselves and about what we have done. It is about Jesus Christ and what He has done. It's about Jesus Christ, our Lord. We don't preach ourselves. We don't advertise ourselves. We preach Christ. We look to Jesus Christ because He never sinned, because He always pleased His Father. This is what we read in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Him, and the Him there is Jesus, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, who never sinned, to become sin for us. That's what we celebrate today, don't we? God made Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, for our sake. He died in our place, even though He knew no sin. God made Him, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. Can you put your name in there? For me. For me. me. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So that we might have God's righteousness given to us in and through Jesus Christ. So it's not a righteousness of our own. We triumph through the gospel, through the righteousness given to us in Jesus Christ. That is an entirely... Different message than what is preached in every other religion. Every other religion, every other false teaching focuses on what we do fundamentally and what we have accomplished. Did you come in here not feeling very strong today in yourself? Did you come in here feeling weak? Well, that's the truth, isn't it? We look away from ourselves and we look to Christ for our strength and our godliness the gospel focuses on what god has done for us in jesus christ and we just rejoice in what he's done in the 1980s early 1990s uh, we lived for 11 years in uh, minnesota very minnesota type day today isn't it and uh, we were we were big fans of the minnesota twins we still are actually And, uh, in 1987 and in 1991, they won the World Series. And, uh, we, we rejoiced in that. We, we rejoiced in the Twins beating the St. Louis Cardinals and the Atlanta Braves. The victory of the Twins was our victory. The joy of the Twins was our joy. But, we didn't do anything. Right? The fans? We didn't play a single game. We, we just, we just enjoyed the victory that they one, And that's the way it is with the gospel. We don't ultimately do anything to win our salvation. We just enjoy and relish the victory that God has won for us in Jesus Christ. His victory is our victory. His triumph is our triumph. Paul celebrates that victory in verse 20. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The the words of this verse go back to the earliest promise in the Bible found in Genesis 3.15. There God promises that the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus is the offspring of the woman. And He crushed the serpent's head on the cross. He defeated the devil who Hebrews tells us has the power of death. Sin and death were dethroned at the cross, and those are our fundamental enemies, aren't they? So now Jesus reigns at God's right hand. He has triumphed over the serpent and Satan. John's Gospel says that Satan, as the ruler of this world, has been cast out. And clearly he's talking about because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not saying that Satan has no role now, but his authority has been removed from him at the cross. Revelation chapter 12 says that Satan, the devil, as the accuser of the brethren, has been evicted from heaven. Now, that's, that's colorful language. That's apocalyptic language. But no longer does Satan have a standing to accuse us before God? Because in Revelation 12, Satan has been evicted from heaven because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That means he can't accuse us anymore before God and have any standing because of the cross. So in the quiet of your heart, Do you struggle with feelings of condemnation and guilt? Are you obsessed with the many ways that you failed? Do you constantly beat yourself up? Well, Satan can't accuse you before God. If you belong to Jesus Christ, there is is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free. Your feelings aren't the ultimate reality. The cross, the blood, is the ultimate reality. Jesus' victory over the serpent is our victory if we belong to Him. If you're a Christian, that's your victory. And you are free, cleansed of all your sin, We don't stand condemned before God. We come freely, boldly, and with joy because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, I've been talking about how we're free. But Romans 16.20 says, The God who gives peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's a future tense verb. Yes, yes, the victory has been won. And our triumph is certain. But but we do still face death. Your conscience can still indict you. It's not the final word. We still face trials. We sang about that, didn't we? We still battle with sin. But, and yet, we've triumphed. The ultimate victory is sure. It's sort of like recording a game. You know, maybe you won't be able to watch the Super Bowl tonight, and maybe you want to watch it, and maybe you'll record it and watch it later, and you have a certain team you want to win. But maybe, inadvertently perhaps, somebody tells you before you've seen it, who won? That happens, doesn't it? That's the danger of recording a game. But if you know your team wins, and you're watching the game, and they fall way behind, and you already know the score, you're watching it, but... You already know the outcome, right? No matter what happens, you know who wins. You know the final score. And brothers and sisters, we know the final score, don't we? We know who wins. We know we triumph. No matter what trials you're suffering from now, no matter what's going on in your life, we know the final score. We win. We win. Too often, I don't live as if I know the final outcome. Do you do that too? Do you worry and fret as if you might not triumph? Do the pressures of life lead you to live as if we don't win? But remember the promise. The Lord has already defeated Satan at the cross and ultimately we triumph. Let's live in the light of that triumph. Third, the gospel is a prophecy fulfilled and a mystery revealed. We see this in verses 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery... Now was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has, has now been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. I want to look at verse 26 first. There we see that the gospel is a prophecy fulfilled. It's disclosed and made known through the prophetic writings. I think that's fundamentally talking about the Old Testament because he begins the letter with the same notion that the gospel he proclaims fulfills what we find in the Holy Scriptures. And there's many parallels between the beginning and end of Romans. That's another way of saying that what God has predicted in prophecies, he has fulfilled in the gospel. You know, we've already seen one of these, haven't we? Genesis 3.15, the offspring of the woman will triumph. That's the fulfillment of a prophecy in Jesus Christ. He is the offspring of the woman who has triumphed over the serpent. And we can think of many other prophecies as well. God promises Abraham that the whole world will be blessed through him. And, of course, that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ as the son of Abraham. God promises David his kingdom will never end. And that is fulfilled through a son of David, Jesus Christ, whose kingdom is from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. God promises there will be a new covenant where His people will obey Him, a new exodus where they're delivered from their sin, and a new creation where righteousness will dwell. All these promises are fulfilled, at least in part, And finally, in the last day, in Jesus Christ, we have prophecies fulfilled in the gospel. Many prophecies. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. But the matter is complex. We don't merely have a prophecy fulfilled, but also a mystery revealed. Look at verses 25 and 26. Paul tells us what a mystery is. He defines it. A mystery is something kept secret in the past, but has now been disclosed. Something secret, but that's now been revealed. So we have to remember this in reading the Old Testament as well. We have prophecies fulfilled and mysteries revealed. So what do we mean by mysteries revealed? No one, and I mean no one, no one understood in reading the Old Testament that the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53 was about the Messiah. Jesus' disciples didn't understand that. Read the Gospels. No one understood that. There's no piece of Jewish literature out there where anybody thought that the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53 Was about the Messiah. No one got it. That's a mystery that was hidden, but is now revealed in Jesus Christ. We know now that that passage is about Jesus. They did not see that clearly as a prophecy fulfilled. It's a mystery that's been revealed. Yes, it's a prophecy fulfilled, but it was hidden from people, wasn't it? It wasn't a clear prophecy to people. It wasn't clear in reading the Old Testament, that the kingdom would come as a mustard seed. That wasn't clear. Old Testament saints thought the kingdom would come with apocalyptic power and it would sweep away their enemies. How surprised the disciples were to find that the kingdom had come in Jesus and they still had to suffer. How helpful it is when we read the Old Testament to discover that some things are clearly prophesied and fulfilled and other things are a mystery that's revealed. Not everything in the Old Testament is equally clear just reading the Old Testament on its own. In other words, we see the fulfillment clearly in Jesus Christ after Jesus Christ has come. The meaning and purpose of the Old Testament is clear now that Jesus has come. The Old Testament <clears throat> The Old Testament is sort of like having a puzzle. So you have a puzzle and you're putting the pieces together, but before Jesus comes, it's like having a puzzle, but some of the pieces are missing. So you can put together a lot of the puzzle. But, but you can't put the whole puzzle together because you don't have all the pieces. But once Jesus comes, you have all the pieces of the puzzle and you can fill it all in. And now it is clear. It's not only a prophecy fulfilled, but a mystery that's now revealed in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we see the whole picture. Everything is now disclosed to us. The Old Testament now makes sense since Jesus Christ has come. Jesus is the last Adam. He's the true son of Abraham. He's the true son of David. He's the son of man. He's the servant of the Lord. He's the wisdom of God in Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes. Fourth, the gospel summons all peoples to the obedience of faith. We read in verse 26, that the gospel is intended to bring about the obedience of faith. In verse 19, Paul says to the Romans that their obedience is known to all. Does that contradict what I was saying earlier? Didn't I say earlier that God does all? That we just enjoy the victory? And now he says it's obedience? what does Paul mean by that that's this is very important to understand isn't it do we contribute something to our salvation ultimately is that what Paul's saying here at the end in Romans 10:16 he speaks of obeying the gospel does that mean we obtain salvation by how well we obey uh, certainly not we're at the end of Romans you haven't all been with us the whole way but Paul makes it very clear, doesn't he, in Romans 1 through 3, that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, that no one is righteous by the works of the law. No, not even one. He certainly can't mean that, can he? None of us can gain eternal life through our obedience. So what does he mean here? Well, he says the obedience of faith, doesn't he? It's an obedience which is faith. Or, or another way of saying it, it's a, an obedience that flows from faith, that issues from faith. Faith is fundamental, isn't it? Faith is the root, obedience is the fruit. But it's not perfect obedience, is it? We already know that from the rest of Romans. We obey the gospel by believing in it, by trusting in Jesus Christ. So there's a call to believe. But that call to believe is obeyed. We submit to Him by believing in Him. Oh, yes, 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 yes. There's obedience in our life. But it's as a result or fruit of our faith, isn't it? Remember I mentioned a moment ago in Romans 10, 16 that there's an obeying of the gospel. But read the context. Romans 10, 16 and 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. So there it is. There's our phrase, right? Obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? You see? They have not all obeyed because they haven't all believed. And then he says, So faith comes from hearing. The obedience he has in mind there is the obedience of believing, of trusting That's what the obedience of faith is. Paul's not teaching that we gain salvation by our obedience. We're not saved by obeying fundamentally, but by trusting. But we're called upon to trust. We're summoned to trust. During Jesus' ministry, the people said to Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God? We want to do something great. What must we do to work? do the works of God? And Jesus said, do you remember what He said? Believe on Him whom He has sent. To do God's work, you must trust in Jesus. So it's an obedience, but it's an obedience that flows from faith. Faith is fundamental. And in any case, but then do we do the believing? Ephesians 2.8 says that faith also is a gift of God. If you wonder about that verse, I'm happy to talk to you later about it. But I think it's clear. Faith is a gift of God. Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you. That's the word for grace. It's been grace to you to believe on him. Even faith is a gift. And this is something all nations, all peoples, all races are called to do. Everywhere we go, we call upon people to believe and to trust in the gospel as I preached on a couple weeks ago. We have a call to the nations. We have a good, good news we proclaim to all peoples in all places. Fifth and finally, the gospel brings grace to us and it brings glory to God. I think it's fitting as we come to the end of Romans, that we think of the words grace and glory. So I just want to read some texts here. Just pray that the Lord would impress upon you the significance of these texts as we think about the grace of God and we think about the glory of God. So let's think first about the grace of God. The Gospel brings grace to us. We read in verse 20, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Romans is all about the grace of God. What is grace? Grace means that our salvation is a gift. Grace means that God gives us everything. And we receive gratefully what He gives to us. Paul says in Galatians 2.21 that he doesn't nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Paul says in Romans eleven six that we are chosen, we are elected by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 says we drink from the water of life freely freely we drink Romans 3:24 says we are justified freely by his grace and we see the connection between grace and faith in Romans 4:16 that is why the promise is by faith so that, here's the purpose, so that it may be according to grace. Faith exalts the grace of God, doesn't it? It's all His work. That's why it's by faith, not by work, so that it may be according to grace. We don't lie down with a smile on our face because of what we've done. That's why it's by faith, so it may be according to grace. And Romans 6.14 says we're under grace as Christians. That's what it means to be a Christian, to live under grace. And since everything is by grace, then it makes perfect sense that Romans Romans ends by saying that God gets all the glory. The one who does the saving gets all the praise, doesn't he? He gets all the honor. The last verse of the book says, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ amen yes yes to god be the glory for saving us in Jesus Christ for all the promises of god 2 corinthians 120 for all the promises of god find their yes in him that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to god for his Glory. God exalted Jesus Christ as Lord, according to Philippians two eleven, to the glory of God the Father. We read in Second Corinthians four six, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ, we see God's glory when we see Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see the glory of God. To God be the glory for His saving work. Three times we're told in Ephesians that God did all that He did for His glory. He elected us for His glory. Verse 6, He redeemed us for His glory. He gave us the Spirit to the praise of His glory. He has put together all of history. He administers all of history for the glory of His name. We read in Ephesians 3.21 that glory goes to God in the church. He's called together a people. He's called together Clifton Baptist for the glory and honor Of his name. God is not only glorified in salvation, but he's also glorified in judgment. Is he glorified in everything? Is he glorified when people are saved? But also glorified when people are judged? Yes, he's also glorified in the judgment of the wicked. The saints will exclaim on the day of judgment, Hallelujah! That this is the day of judgment. Not now. But we will exclaim. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For His judgments are true and just. Praise God. Praise God for the judgment. Now we pray for the salvation of all. Then praise God for His judgment on the wicked. Revelation nineteen six and 7 says, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. He reigns over those who are saved. He reigns over those who are judged. He gets glory from both. We glorify Him because all things are from Him and to Him and for Him. If you know Christ you have a future of unending joy. We read in Ephesians 2, 7, that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That means we will praise the glory of God in heaven forever. So I hope your heart is saying as we come to the end of Romans and as we come to the Lord's table, not to us, Not to us, not to me, but to your name, Lord, be the glory. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, how prone we are, even as Christians, to seek our own glory and honor and praise. Lord, help us to kill that desire by your Holy Spirit. May our hearts long to bring you glory and honor and praise. And, Lord, we do praise you because in saving us and redeeming us and rescuing us, we get all the grace and you get all the glory. We get all the help as helpless sinners and we get all the joy. But the triumph is yours. The victory is yours. As we sang today, in your name we go, and in your name we triumph, and not in our name, and not in our strength. And we pray, Lord, for our church, Clifton Baptist, that we would not be deceived or flattered by a false message and a false gospel that attributes anything to ourselves and our goodness but that we would always look to you for salvation and for all things. And Lord, may we bring you great glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.